0: We funded eight startups in that first summer in 2005, which was in Cambridge, Massachusetts. That's where we we lived. We had a little office and then we thought, okay, so we're funding these eight startups well, we should meet with them at least once a week. We'll do it over a dinner and we'll bring a guest speaker in to speak. So we had to like scrounge up all of the sort of startup-y people we knew in Boston. And we invite them, hey, CFO of a startup would come, a patent lawyer came to talk. Like all these people would come on a Tuesday night and Paul would cook dinner. I would go to the grocery store and we made we had these sort of long trestle tables made for our office, and it was so everyone was sitting at this long table, and it worked out super well.
1: That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high achieving people. So, on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Jessica Livingston is a co founder and partner at Y Combinator. Y Combinator is a startup fund and program. Since 2005, YC has invested in over 3,000 companies, including Airbnb. DoorDash, Stripe, Instacart, Dropbox, and Coinbase. The combined valuation of Y Combinator companies is approaching a trillion dollars. YC has programs and resources that support founders throughout the life of their company. Startup School teaches the basics of starting a company. The YC Batch Program helps founders as they build their product, talk to their customers, and raise funding. When Jessica started Y Combinator, it was a revolutionary idea in VC. Like many entrepreneurs, so many people told her it couldn't possibly work, but she proved them all wrong. More from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsors. Build the team that will build your business. With Upwork, you can find top developers, designers, project managers, and more who can start today so your business can succeed tomorrow. Hire at home or in 180 countries around the world to find the right talent for whatever your business needs. Upwork, the world's work marketplace. Learn more at www.upwork.com. She proved them wrong and helped so many amazing businesses like the aforementioned Airbnb and Dropbox, build empires with her entrepreneur-first mentality. Jessica is also the author of Founders at Work, a collection of interviews with successful startup founders. Her incredible passion for startups, extreme modesty, and entrepreneur-first mentality is so apparent throughout her interview and makes for one that I think you will all love. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us on uh, How Success Happens. I've read so much about your success and so much about the success of the companies that you have helped and have built. And there's so much information out there about them. But I really want to start looking at yourself and, and going back. And where did you grow up? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Well, this will be quick. I grew up in the suburbs of Boston and went to boarding school for high school, then to college in Pennsylvania, and then actually a uh, quick stop in Boston for my first job at Fidelity Investments and then to New York City.
1: <laughs> and that's, yes, it, it's in terms of Boston I have to say I do love Boston going to Boston University and living there for oh, wow. a long period of time. Yeah, it was pretty I mean Boston's such a great city with so much energy and young people coming out of school and it sounds like you grew up there and were there entrepreneurial influences in your life at that time because you said you went over to you know John Hancock which is you know you're not looking at startups right?
0: <laughs> well, it's funny that you asked this question because I actually wrote an essay about my background and what led me to start Y Combinators called Grow the Puzzle Around You. And the reason I wrote it is because when journalists or biographers talk about successful entrepreneurs, they like to sort of focus on important influences in their formative years. I did not have any I have no stories of selling a lemonade stand or, (laughs) you know, having Steve Jobs as my idol or anything like that. No, my dad worked at Gillette for his entire life, never, never switched companies. So anyway, it's, I wrote an essay all about that because I wanted to show founders and entrepreneurs that there is no one type of person that, can, become, can start a company or can start a startup. They come now in all shapes and sizes with different backgrounds. So long answer to your question, I really didn't have much of an influence on starting companies or being interested in startups at all. It really wasn't until I was 30 years old that I got this bug and became obsessed with startups.
1: I love that because so many of the people we talked to, so many people who come on, they were the kid that was selling bubblegum in like second grade, like buying the yeah. whole pack and like ripping it up and selling it for like, 50 times or, you know, they had baseball card collections or jewelry businesses. And I love the fact I also went to school, I wanted to be a sports journalist, I had no idea I was going to turn into an entrepreneur. But there's very few people like yourself, who, you know, really just do, you know, come from not that background, there probably are more and you probably Probably no, but that's a really good point. So take me to the, the you go into corporate America. You said you moved mm-hmm. to New York. What type of work were you doing?
0: Well, when I was in my early 20s and I moved to New York, I was doing investor relations at an agency for healthcare companies. And that was in the mid-90s, so during the first internet bubble. And a lot of companies were going public. So I had my foot in, like, I, I understood IPOs and, and how um, the fi- world of finance worked. And then I decided to do something totally different. I was sick of agency life and I worked at Food and Wine management magazine on their big Aspen event.
1: Oh, I love that event. (laughs) Yes, it's a great
0: event. Um, And I loved it and, and got a lot of event experience doing that. So I had a financial background, a lot of event experience. And then I moved to back to Boston and I worked for an automotive consulting firm heading up their conferences and events. And then I got a job in Boston at Adams Harkness and Hill, which was a boutique investment bank that pretty much represented tech companies, healthcare companies, and consumer companies, and worked with a lot of of later stage companies going public or getting acquired. I was working in the marketing department. So I was doing a lot of messaging and advertising and all that sort of thing. And while I thought because of this job that I understood technology companies, it wasn't until I started, there were two things. One, I started dating Paul Graham, my co-founder at Y Combinator. And he had had a startup, which it was called via web. It was the first web-based application ever. He had done it in the mid nineties and sold to Yahoo. And he and his friends were like super programmer nerds <laughs> and just had this entirely different background than I did. And so I started talking to them and hanging out with them and the stories that they told and the things that happened during their startup and other people's startups, it just felt like this whole new world world. world to me that was, by the way, very interesting and much more casual and nerdy, frankly, than the startups, the companies that I was acquainted with through the investment bank, which were much later stage, obviously. And so as the second, as the bubble burst and we were sort of having a delay off some of my team at, uh, at our company, I thought, you know, I really need, I need a side project to keep me, keep boost my morale and be interested. So I started thinking of this book idea that where I, I thought there's no information out there on early stage startups. And if I'm so surprised about what goes on. Surely the rest of the world will be. I read this book called, it was called Startup actually by Jerry Kaplan that just, it was like the heavens opened and the sun shone down on me. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Cause I was not familiar with Silicon Valley. I was always East coast after college. It was just a very foreign world to me. So I said, I'd like to create a book where I can teach people about what actually happens really early on and all the crazy stories and the rejections that you'd never think successful companies had to go through. So I happened, I I started working on this book. I wrote a few chapters and I got an actual book deal, much to people's surprise. And that got me serious about about working on this. So I thought I'm going to spend my time working on this book, but then something else happened. And that was I, was, I was, had been interviewing to work at a venture capitalist. Cause I thought I'll get closer to the early stage VC early stage companies by working with a VC rather than an investment bank. And this Boston based VC was looking for a director of marketing and they just sort of took a while to get on with this. And I interviewed several times. It was just sort of strung out over the course of a few months, I think. And in that time, Paul doing what he normally does, which is waggling his finger at people and saying, you know what you should do? (laughs) um, Started, we were just at dinner. We'd be talking about how broken the early stage funding scene was and and that more people should be starting startups. Because of course, this was in 2004. It was a lot cheaper to start a startup than it had ever been before. If you had a laptop, that's kind of all you needed if you were doing a software company. So we thought there should be more people starting startups. They should have easier access to smaller amounts of money. And that was what was really broken because through Paul's experience at ViaWeb, he didn't know where to go to get funding. You either have to find a like, wealthy relative to lend you some money or you have to have a business plan and a product launched and then raise millions from VCs. So we thought, he kept saying, if you go to this venture capitalist firm, here's what you should do. You should make sure that they you know, invest smaller amounts, don't take board seats, fund more people, fund younger people, all this stuff. And then one night we said, you know what? Let's just do this ourselves, and so that's sort of how I got how the idea came about.
1: And um, there's so much to ask, but in this case, when you said that and were saying, you know, let's just do this ourselves, was there? This was your first entrepreneurial pursuit. What was yeah. that feeling like inside of you? Oh gosh,
0: that's an interesting question because I don't usually ever get asked that, and it's it's sort of funny because for me. I had always had a job, always. And back then, especially, you didn't leave a company without having a new job lined up. That would be a gap in your resume and very scary. And so when Paul, who of course was, had already been an entrepreneur was like, okay, let's start this, let's get going. I was like, oh gosh. And I, the scariest moment for me was when I had to tell my father that I was quitting my job with medical insurance and a nice salary to start this company with my boyfriend, no less. (laughs) It seemed like a crazy idea, you know, funding startups with no health and health insurance. And I remember that was like one of the scariest things I had to do. And then fortunately for me, my father was pretty supportive. You know, he was like, well, I am worried about the medical insurance, but I'm happy for you. So as soon as I got through that, then it was smooth sailing. But I will admit that taking the jump from my sort of cozy job at a esteemed at a, a company to do something new that no one could even understand, by the way, was one of the hardest things I've done.
1: And not only that, When our listeners, you know, here in 2022, back then, there wasn't like this was something you do or cool, exciting, like it was normal. Like you said, it was even to that point, and even past the dot com, especially after the dot com bust, it was like you find a good company, you go back there, you stay there to jump right into it is really impressive that you did that. What I find very impressive too is that you did it with your. Boyfriend, because I once tried working with my wife on a business, it lasted like two days. Was that dynamic? Did that all work at it? Because it sounds like you guys have a, a great relationship.
0: Well, it is. It is. You do want to you don't want to go in lightly into a company with your significant other. <laughs> but the good news for us is that we had very complementary skills. We he was a programmer. He had done a startup before. I was incredibly organized and like a COO type of person and just got stuff done that it's funny to think like he could never have opened up a bank account. That just wasn't in his DNA kind of thing. And we've always had very complimentary skills. We've never disagreed on anything. We always made all of the important decisions to Together, little decisions we left to each other, but we made all the important decisions together. We never disagreed on anything, and we loved working together because before we had kids, we'd just go straight from working out to dinner and brainstorm ideas, and just it was twenty four seven, and we happened to love it because we both loved working with startups.
1: The good old days pre kids. The, the uh, good <laughs> old
0: days when we had infinite amounts of time. Yes.
1: So let me ask you you say, let's go for it. Let's do this. Give us the concept and tell us about Y Combinator and how it works and what the difference was and then how you got it off the ground.
0: Sure. So remember, we're back in 2004. So there's not a lot of content online. Twitter's not available I'll briefly describe the options of funding. Like I said, uh, there were either sort of formal places like venture capitalists who wanted to give lots of money to a small amount of companies, Or there are what were called angel investors who would write personal checks. And frankly, it was pretty haphazard how they invested. It was like a side thing for most angel investors. So there was really no way for people just starting out with no connections to get a small enough amount of money that they could quit their jobs and still be able to pay their rent but not not millions of dollars cuz you just wouldn't know how to spend it at that time. You just want enough money to get started. So, we decided and by the way, what I'll quickly tell you what we started it was what's now called an accelerator, didn't have a name at the time because we were the very first one. An accelerator funds a group of companies at one time. And we had a three-month program and dur- and we still do. It's still very similar, even though it's much bigger, it's very similar to what we started. We had a three-month program. We had an application process. So we had you know 25 questions online. You fill out the applications, we review those. And we host a weekend of interviews that at the when we first started were 25 minutes, but now they're down to like five minutes or 10 <laughs> minutes. So very quick interview. And we decide that day, which was totally novel at that time, to make a decision that day because we felt it was so unfair how angel investors just string things along. The other thing we thought that was so unfair was how costly and confusing all the paper work was. If you want to take $20,000, like you have to spend $15,000 in legal fees. So we said, we're going to have a standard set of documents. And we'll show you the standard documents ahead of time so that when we make you an offer, you can also decide that day if you're going to accept the deal. And the only thing that was blank was sort of the your names, basically. Everything else was standard. We gave small amounts of money. It was $6,000 per fan at the time for roughly 7% of the company. We then said, once we accept you, we're going to help you set up your company and incorporate, which again was very novel. We went to our law firm and said, Could you please make some templates so that we can help our founders incorporate? And the lawyers were like, Ooh, I don't think that's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, where's their
1: money uh, coming from?
0: Yeah. We were like, well, let's just do it. We'll see what happens. And it totally worked. And I sat down with all the individual founders and helped them fill out, like explained how it worked and explained about deciding how much stock to issue to the founders, that sort of thing. And they did it themselves and saved all that money. So we standardized a lot of things, which was very novel. So we're also doing this batch model, but that was an accident that. We meant to just be sort of a standard angel investing company, but we thought, gosh, Paul and I, and then our two co-founders, Robert Morris and Trevor Blackwell, we didn't know anything about angel investing. So we got to learn. So let's have a summer program where we invite a handful of startups and we'll have a bunch of them at once and we'll learn how to invest. And then we'll go back to asynchronous investing. So we did this application uh, process. We interviewed, I think we got 200 applications. And the way we got that was because because Paul at the time was an essayist and people like he wrote about programming and a little bit about startups. And so he he had a little bit of an audience with programmers. So most of our startups were programmers, mostly male, mostly young, but we got the applications, which was a miracle. We funded eight startups in that first summer in 2005, which was in Cambridge, Massachusetts. That's where we, we lived. We had a little office. And then we thought, okay, so we're funding these eight startups. Well, we should meet with them at least once a week. We'll do it over dinner and we'll bring a guest speaker in to speak. So we had to like scrounge up all of the sort of startup-y people we knew in Boston. And we invite them, hey, CFO of a startup would come, a patent lawyer came to talk. Like all these people would come on a Tuesday night and Paul would cook dinner I would go to the grocery store and we made, we had these sort of long trestle tables made for our office. And it was so everyone was sitting at this long table and it worked out super well. We, they incorporated every week. We'd have the guest speakers during the week. We'd advise them on their startup. And what we realized, the happy accident about this group model, this batch model was that gosh, you know, it's really lonely starting a startup. Mm. So if you're just two people living in an apartment, it's nice to have colleagues, if you will. So when they'd come together every Tuesday, they'd update each other on their progress and they'd commiserate about things. And we thought, wow, wait, we've stumbled onto something. Being able to bring everyone together, this is nice. So at the end of the three months, we had what we then called angel day. Now it's called demo day, but it was basically Pitches to investors. And I use the in word investors very loosely because it was basically 15 people in the audience who had enough money to make angel investments, basically. Now it's hundreds and hundreds of people come to demo day, but back then it's very small. But the point is we had this, you know, the three-month program, the dinners, the end of demo day, and some of the companies got founded or funded. And by the way, Reddit was in that batch. The founders of Twitch were in that batch. I mean, it, there were amazing. some actually yes, absolutely good amazing teams. So after that three months, we said, "Gosh, this worked. This batch model works really well." And then what happened was Paul went off to an event called Foo Camp. If you've ever heard of that, it's a very Silicon Valley techie techie event for programmers hosted by O'Reilly Media. And it was a real scene back then. And he came back and he said, gosh, we got to be in Silicon Valley because we don't want someone else to be the Y Combinator of Silicon Valley. So suddenly it's October or something. And we're like, Oh God, really? We have to do a winter program now in Silicon Valley without an office or a place to live. So it was pretty crazy. We moved out there. We our co-founder Trevor had actually a robot company and he, we said, can we borrow one of your rooms in this office for our dinners? We got everything set up. The paint was still drying on the walls for our first dinner for the winter session and we're like please don't touch the walls the paint's still still drying um, so it's just like that it just started started like that and of course no one was really interested in us we got no media attention nothing but but we had an audience and even though it was small we made that audience really happy and it really grew organically over the years from that point.
1: And it's incredible because you were starting something at the time that today is common, right? A lot of people have followed this model and understand. And it really seems to me for you and Paul, the real meaning behind this business, it was from what he had gone through, from what you had learned, really a mission to help these small, or I'd say companies that don't have this access. And that must have made you feel incredible, though, giving these people that opportunity. was Is that something that still to this day sticks with you every time you're able to support someone?
0: Oh, of course. I mean, that was... Sort of our founding principle was helping startups. And every decision that we made for Y Combinator was is it best for the founder? And by the way, that's very different from a lot of investment firms. <laughs> we didn't, we honestly did not go into it wanting to make money. We knew we would like to make a little so that we could keep going, but we didn't. I mean, it was like, could a company go public that we funded? It's just been a miracle that that they have. So we were always driven by our desire to help startups and just because we wanted to see them succeed. And we just love doing it. And I think, frankly, that differentiates us a lot from competitors who are driven by other sort of financial gains and that kind of thing. But it's always been a part of our culture and the way we make decisions. And I mean, Things have changed with Y Combinator now. It's so much bigger. There are 400 more, more than 400 startups in this current batch happening now. So it has gotten big and and better in many, many ways. Like There are just so many more connections that we have and we have so much more influence and smart people involved in the community. But um, it really is quite similar to sort of the original concept.
1: More from our guests. But first, a word from our sponsors. That sound is music to my ears. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere giving entrepreneurs like myself the resources once reserved for big business customized for my needs with a great looking online store that brings my idea to life and tools to manage my day-to-day and drive sales making your idea real opens endless possibilities it's a journey but that's the beauty of entrepreneurship believe me This podcast started as a passion project, and turns out I created an entire business around creating podcasts for brands. I love how Shopify makes it easy for anyone to successfully run their own business. Shopify powers millions of entrepreneurs just like me from first sale to full scale. And every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. Get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. Access powerful tools to help you find customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day. Gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. Plus, with the 24-7 support, you're never alone. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is a possibility powered by Shopify. So go to shopify.com HSH, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com HSH right now. And our next sponsor, We all know that decorating a home isn't always easy, but this year, my wife and I are trusting the expertise of Jenny Kane home to curate the space of our dreams from timeless furniture to elevated accents. Jenny Kane home has something for every room, style and sensibility. This is especially true with the Brentwood boucle chair, the handcrafted accent chair that everyone is obsessed with perfect for the bedroom, living room, or den, the Brentwood Boucle chair adds interest and effortless style to any room. So create the space you'll never want to leave at jennykane.com. Get 15% off your first order when you use the code HSH at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J E N N I K A Y N E. Dot com and use the promo code hsh and we're back was there a time at all in those early days where you maybe thought okay it's you know maybe kind of work like maybe this isn't gonna work maybe this is you know I might need to go back and work in corporate America was there ever mm. any inclination of that?
0: It never got to that point ever, because I guess in the earliest days, a lot of people were skeptical what 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 the biggest skeptics said, besides, we don't understand your model, they'd say, What's going to kill you?' is that you have common stock, which was, again, another novel thing that we did. We didn't take preferred shares. We took common shares because we wanted to be aligned with the founders who had common shares. So the the investor said, you are going to get flushed out so fast, as soon as the VCs come in, and certainly, you know, on acquisitions. And we just took that chance. We rolled the dice and said, I think we're going to help the founders and they're going to like us and they'll protect us, which is what happened. I mean, it wasn't like that scary for us, but early on when we didn't have much clout, we were sort of maltreated by some of the early acquirers who kind of didn't want to pay much money and wanted the teams and didn't want to have to pay us our due share. And they really tried to hose us sometimes. And we had to fight back a little bit. Now they wouldn't probably do that as much. And the founders really did step in and say, you're not flushing them out. Cause there are like sort of legal ways you could do that, but it's never so scary that I thought I'd have to go back to corporate America. And by the way, I don't know if I could have ever gone back to corporate America. I have to be honest. Once I started my own company, it was so fulfilling and I was so driven to succeed and I worked all the time on it and I loved it. It was just the best. I don't, I think I would have had to start something else.
1: What do you think it is that drives you? You just said like you would not basically allow this to fail. What is it internally inside of you that really drives you to be successful?
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, for Y Combinator, there were many reasons. I mean, a lot was because we wanted to keep going. Honestly, again, remember this was a hypothesis that we had that we were testing out. We thought You could fund younger people, you could give them less money, and you could standardize things. And let's see if that works. It was self-funded. So there wasn't, at some point, the money did actually, you know, became a little bit tighter and we had to raise money from, which we did from Sequoia, but it was just an experiment. And we, as soon as we started working with the other startups, we realized how much we loved it and they were going on to succeed themselves. And we didn't want to have to stop. So we really wanted it to succeed because also we wanted to be right. That's one thing about founders. They like it when their ideas work, especially when everyone else doubts them. And trust me, we had a lot of people who doubted us and rejected us and were totally uninterested in what we were doing. And you kind of want to like show people that our idea does work and we can help founders. And I I truly believe why Combinator has helped so many different people and so many employees of the companies that we've started and different industries. I mean, I, I do feel like we've had a a big impact on the world and I'm very proud of that. So that, that kind of drives you.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, it's incredible now when you talk about Y Combinator and the success and like you had mentioned over 400 plus startups now, but I love going back to those early days when you were saying you were trying to prove like a hypothesis and, and that kept you going. Was there a moment or a certain time where you looked at Paul, talked to Paul, or personally were like, you know what, we got it right.
0: Trying to think if there was one specific time, there were sort of like a series of little indicators if that, if I can take it in that direction. I remember one time, like no, no journalist would touch us. No one was interested. I think I sent out so many emails, clearly failed at being a good marketing person because no one was interested in us. And then it was like a year after we had started, a little over a year after we started, two things happened. Reddit got acquired by Condé Nast, which was in the news. And it was always referenced, oh, they were funded by Y Combinator. Mm. And then at the same time, Some VC, I forget which one it was out in Silicon Valley, started a program where they were funding, um, making $100,000 investments. And that got some news, like these smaller investments. So then suddenly people became interested in Y Combinator. And we were in news articles and we were in the New York Times. Jenny A. Lee wrote a story on us. And I remember when we were in the New York Times, I was like, we have made it. We have just made it there's a photo and everything i mean it was just <laughs> really an exciting moment but there were also times when things little things like dropbox they were one of our first companies they were in 2007 in the summer batch and they were one of the first companies that re- became sort of really successful with their success sort of we followed people paid more attention well who's this y combinator that Funded Dropbox, and more people realized, investors realized that the companies that we funded were legit, that maybe they should come to our demo days and they should fund our startups. And there was just sort of a turning of the tide where people believed in us. And that hadn't happened. But when we got some legit companies that were doing well, that was when we sort of said, I think this is working. And then finally, I will never forget this day. There was a company we funded called Heroku that was in 2008, I think. And maybe it was 2011 or something, got acquired for like a real nice chunk of money. And I remember I was driving to FedEx, filling out the paperwork, because this is before any like, hello, sign, (laughs) online, fact stuff. And I remember thinking, we are now in the red And that was like an exciting moment because we now made enough money that we could keep going. And that was like an exciting moment where we thought this could actually work.
1: (laughs) You know, I want to ask you about entrepreneurs and what you see, and you've seen so many First, I want to ask you though, if you can just like you talked about Dropbox and we've had some of the founders of Y Combinator companies on this show. What were some of the companies or the big wins or the ones that, wow, just turned out to be, you know, like the Dropboxes of the world?
0: Let's see. Well, a lot of people know Airbnb. (laughs) Yes,
1: a small Um, company. And
0: actually, you should have them on this show. They have one of the most fascinating tales of how they got started in their early years. It's so much fun to listen to them tell that. And they have, they of course come back to Y Combinator Dinners themselves as founders and speak to every new batch. And it's like the highlight of the the speaking series these days. But I remember when we funded them, it was for the winter 2009 session but we funded them in November, 2008. That's when mm. we did the interviews. And there had just been this like meltdown in the financial <laughs> yeah, world. Yeah, little
1: one, <laughs> slight one.
0: And- And we said, gosh, okay, we got to like not fund that many startups because we had been creeping up. It had gone from eight to 10 to 12 or whatever. And then it's gone up to 20, I think. And we said, well, let's tighten things up a little here because we don't know come March, a demo day, if investors are even going to be writing checks. So we said we can only fund people that we think like will not die and are super determined and tough or can make money pretty quickly with their idea. So I remember they came in and they were on their last legs when they came in to interview for Y Combinator. We were like the last resort for them. They had been rejected. They were in thousands of dollars of debt. They'd been working on their idea for a while and it just wasn't taking off, but they knew that there was something to it because they, of course, were their first hosts. They were renting out the bedroom in their apartment on Roush Street. So They knew they were onto something. It just wasn't working out. So they came to us and we just loved them. We told them they should change their idea. And we, I think Paul like pitched another idea to them and they're like, no, we really want to pursue this renting out this, you know, renting out of a couch or a room. Cause back then it was called air bed and breakfast it was not renting out whole individual places. It was renting out bedrooms. So they left, but on their way out, Joe Gebbia said, we did bring you something. And he pulled out these two cereal boxes that were and McCain's and Obama O's. Cause it was during the presidential election around that time. And they had like these, they had created these crazy cereal boxes like that were like you know, Cheerios and Captain Crunch. And they were just very clever. And they had sent them out to journalists, but they had extras and they brought them to us. And we were like, thanks. And I remember thinking, my God, these guys like glue gunned this themselves. This is so great. They're hustlers. We just loved them. And we funded them. And they continued with their idea, and actually, they'd tell you we were pivotal in their success early on because one of the things that Paul really got into with them was, you know, where's your where's your biggest market right now? New York City. What was happening was there were a lot of people who wanted to stay in New York City, but like the hosts looked like axe murderers, and the, like <laughs> rooms were like darkly lit, and just the photographs were sounds bad. right. <laughs> Paul was like, please go to New York meet with your, your host there, like take pictures for them, create the website for them, just do whatever you can to make it look more appealing and safe for people and see what happens. And they would go every week after the dinner on the, the next morning, they'd fly to New York and they'd meet with, with their hosts all week long and literally bring their camera and take pictures with them and come back right before the dinner on Tuesday, right in time. And they were just so full of ideas and they'd be like, this is what we accomplished this week. And by the way, they had a a sign taped to their bathroom mirror that had their growth goals for that week. And every morning, like they'd see their goal for that week and they'd hit it every week. And that's all that mattered. And it was during YC that they first started really taking off. And it was in New York City that was their first big
1: market. I love that story. Tell me this, you have seen, talked to, worked with so many different entrepreneurs from very early stages on. Is there something or some way you can judge who might be successful, who might not, how much of it is the person, how much is luck played? What's your thoughts behind success as an entrepreneur?
0: Well, remember that I'm coming from the very earliest stages. So at the very earliest stages, it is so much more about the founders themselves than the idea. So that's my perspective. So what I'm looking for First of all, to answer your question quickly, there's no way to to tell, there's no way to predict, but there are some predictors, you know, if I had to, who do I look for when I'm looking to invest in someone? We do like people who can program, if you, you, if you can build it yourself, you're just at such an advantage. And you can think about what's possible versus someone who has to get someone else to make it. So I really, we like to have one programmer on the team. Definitely domain experts. Um, if there are people who are solving their own problems, I get really excited mm. about that because they just know all the nuances and they're building something that they would themselves use. And so that's really critical. Let's see, you have to be determined. That is one consistent characteristic in everyone. You are gonna get have so many disasters blow up in your face. You're gonna face so many uh, rejections from So many different journalists, investors, employees, whoever, rejection, you have to keep pressing forward. You can't get held back by that. You have to be open-minded or sort of flexible-minded. People go into something with a hypothesis and they can't say, well, this is what it's going to be. And I'm I'm not going to veer off from that because you often get taken in different directions. I mean, think of all the famous startups. The one that always sticks in my head is PayPal, <laughs> which started off as like a tablet for sharing, you know, p- making payments. So you, you have to be flexible enough minded to be led in a different direction by your users. And that's another key thing about the successful founders that I've dealt with. They all are just devoted to their users and are always thinking about their users and creating great experiences for the users. So those are sort of some of the main qualities, but it really, as I was saying earlier, really depends. They're all different types of people that have become successful. And sometimes luck is very much involved. And sometimes it's a lot of fortitude where 10 other people doing something similar would have given up and this one founder keeps going. So it's a lot of different bits of magic that come into it that makes startups so exciting to me.
1: In the little time we have left, I wanted to ask you if you were going to, let's Go, well, let's say, you know, you're just out of school or finishing school. And right now, today, with so many things going on, we just went through a pandemic, but there's so many different opportunities. If you were going to start a business, is there a certain area you would focus in?
0: I would focus in an area that you know well. I mean, again. I always, we always would let the founders lead us to the new ideas. We were very agnostic when it turned, when it came to in certain industries, it was more like, where's, what does the founder see that's broken, that can be improved, could be fixed. So if I were giving advice to a younger person, first, I do have to say, while you're in college, please learn to program. Even if you don't wanna be a programmer, just learn how to do the basics. No one wants to hear that, but I just feel like I have to say that. But I would say, take the time to like, if you're still in college, learn different things, meet smart people that do projects. And this can come after, after college, even if you have a a job in the corporate world, do a side project with someone you think you could, you get along with and could do things with, because the more experience you have building sort of insignificant things, like the better chance you have of stumbling onto a solution that could someday become big because remember, Anyone, you know this, anyone that, that starts out that's super successful doesn't say, I'm going to start a startup and here's my idea. They stumble into it. They start working on solving something or they start thinking, I wonder what, I'm at Harvard University in 2004. I wonder what it would be like to be able to share photos of myself with my friends. <laughs> that certainly doesn't seem very plausible or certainly financially lucrative. If you hear that idea, but just work on interesting things, solve problems that you yourself have and get to know people who could be potential co-founders, because that, by the way, is one of the big killers of startups is co-founder disputes. And you do need to, to find someone who you have, usually it's best if you have a bit of a history with them and you trust them.
1: Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Having built a few businesses with the, the same partner and we complement each other in so many ways, but there's the trust and the honesty. And I've heard so many situations of just great ideas, great businesses fall apart because- there is that misconnection. And the last thing I do want to ask you is it's incredible what you built. And the reason I say that it's incredible, the amount of businesses and jobs and dreams that Y Combinator has really made possible for so many people. In the next few years, do you see yourself still in this role, are you still, does it still excite you? Do you wanna do other things outside of Y Combinator?
0: Well, I actually am doing things outside of Y Combinator. So a couple of years ago, I took a sabbatical and we moved to England because while I loved startups, I had two sons and I was missing a lot of time with them. And so we took a sabbatical and moved to England And we loved it so much, we have not gone back. And then there was, of course, the pandemic. So I will always want to work with startups. I will always want to help them invest in them. And we have someone now, there's a new president of Y Combinator, Jeff Ralston, and he's doing an amazing job. And Y Combinator is just bigger now than I ever would have dreamt possible. And it's helping more people. And now with the pandemic, it's virtual. So it's very international now. We're funding people all over the world who don't have to move to California. And so it's just, it's mind blowing to me having been there in the the earliest days, but to answer your question, I am doing different things now and I still love startups and I'm still, as you can tell, love talking about them. I could talk about them for hours, but I am spending time with my kids because you can't get that time back.
1: No, and you can't. And just to add on to that, I would love to ask, you know, I, my wife had worked and I have two daughters and for me too, it was so difficult for her as a woman, because I think of those, there was a lot of conflict of being this business person who she was or taking care of, of, of children. And how do you talk to some of your entrepreneurs who are females, who Might face similar situations, so it's not a one or the other, or is it a one or the other? Because I always know that, like, that must be the most difficult thing when that, just from a motherly instinct, plays on your mind. Like, do I take care of my kids or do I build a business?
0: We might need a whole other podcast. (laughs) That it's a very complex question. I mean, if I were giving, I often give advice on this subject, and I especially give it to you know, why Combinator female founders who reach out to me asking about this. And, and honestly, we funded a lot of women who have kids who are pregnant during Y Combinator. There are a lot of super successful women who have run their startups, have gone public and while raising children, I have struggled with it, which is why I took a sabbatical and it's why I'm I'm not as involved as I was in the early days. Like I said, in the early days, I could just morning till bedtime, 100% Y Combinator. And I, I literally can't give 100% to Y Combinator and that's, it's hard to balance. Honestly, I'd try to get started while you don't have kids because at least you can prove out the model, get the company running, and then you can hire more people to delegate some things to you. Cause you do have to, you you do have to delegate some things.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. It's such a tough situation, but like you said, there's, Not one answer, but it is nice to see when people, especially females can be successful in both ways. It didn't work for my wife either. You know, she had to take that time off. And like you said, a lot of times when you look at life, or at least from my perspective, I look at life, you can't get that time back. Right. Like I'm almost amazed. It's like three or four years. My daughter's out of the house and uh it feels just oh, no. like, yeah, it feels, I'm actually not too sad about that. She's a teenager right now, but I will be. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> but yes, in, in all in all, there's such a short period of time, but I love being an entrepreneur as well. And Jessica, this has been an incredible uh, how success happens. And I know one that there are going to be a lot of entrepreneurs and certainly ones who want to jump off that diving board are going to listen to this. And uh, I just want to thank you for coming on the show.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. And I, I hope more people take that dive.
1: Me too. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, Please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hshentrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R O B E R T T U C H M A N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.